Welcome back to the Nigeria Filmmaker, a podcast for us to talk about Nigeria filmmakers, their films, and how we can build a diverse and functional industry. I'm your host, Selegot. On this episode, my guest is Priya Diri. She's a writer, producer, and director. She grew her filmmaking knowledge by attending the Africa International Film Festival, where she earned the scholarship in 2017. We talk about her early dreams of being an actor, the Accelerate Filmmaker Project, and life as a working filmmaker. If you're a new listener, you're welcome and I hope you enjoy. Hi Priya, welcome to the Ninja Filmmaker. Thank you, Sarah. Nice to meet you. Okay, can you um, give a brief introduction of yourself? <laughs> Um, my name is Priya Ziri, um, a writer, producer, director. I'm also a feminist. Um, I advocate against sexual and gender-based violence in Nigeria. And most importantly, I'm a human being. Okay, can we start with your filmmaking journey? When did you choose to go down this path? Oh, I think the path chose me. I think that I didn't choose the path, but like I was chosen by the path, if that makes any sense. Um, I would say that um, I've always been very interested in storytelling. Yeah. From a very young age, I would write poetry. I mean, I started from writing poetry to dancing to writing music, even because at some point in my life, I wanted to be a musician. Yeah. So writing music. So it was just practically to tell a story. And that was like the most important thing to me. So I would um, write um, short stories, write poetry. Um, but I think that I sort of, when I knew about film, I yeah. only knew the people that I saw on screen. So I only knew like actors and I just like, oh, I want to be an actor. And that was like the first thing that came, oh, I want to be an actor. And so I started to go for auditions. I would, from Port Harcourt, I would go to any good for to audition. Mm-hmm. I would go to Asaba. I would, I mean, I would do all of these things that my parents will not know my whereabouts. I would wake up and say, oh, I'm going to this uncle's house. And well, in reality, because I know they will not call to check because they don't believe that I'm going to be lying. I would travel all the way to Enugu, to Asaba. Sometimes with just 2,000 naira, sometimes with 3,000. I remember a lot of times I was stuck on the road a lot of times. So I was just driven by this this, um, passion. And then if one fine day in Port Harcourt, I think this was 2009 or so, I'm not exactly sure yeah. when it was, um, my mother had sent me to the bank. And this was like to get the biggest money I'd ever held at that point in my life. I was a teenager. Yeah. She said, oh, go and collect 700K from the bank, cash, and bring it to me. And so I had my backpack. I got into the car, went to the bank, drew the money. Shockingly, on my way back, the taxi driver would just not stop talking. So he was talking about how, oh, he dropped some people at presidential hotel and he saw like actors there. He saw Richard Dominic and the rest of them. And I mean, being prayer that I know, I was like, ooh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go there. <laughs> so, so I, I told him, oh, take me to presidential. I had my mother's money. I had, I went to presidential hotel. I got there and I sat at the back and it was international film festival or something of that sort. Yeah. And I just sat at the back and I watched all of these people, Molalisa Chinda and the rest of them. And I just said to myself, like, I want to be in the industry so bad. It was there that I um, saw um, at Mildred Oko and I started to follow her journey. Okay. I opened a Twitter account. I followed her on Twitter. And I then saw that she posted um, something about the African International Film Festival yeah. holding at Calabar. 
So that was the International Film Festival of some sort. It was Afrif, but it was like the first um, Afrif. Yeah. That, yeah. But it wasn't Afrif at the time. So um, I saw that it was holding at Calabar. So what did I do? I applied for um, as a screenwriter. Um, I went... But I, but I saw the things to apply for screenwriting, directing. The way, I was just like, wait, there's a lot to film. It is not just the people on screen. Yeah. And so I started to Google about screenwriting, directing, producing, like practically everything that I saw there. And I was just wowed by the behind the scene. I'm like, no, I don't want to be an actor anymore. I want to yeah. be behind the scene. I want to be the person making the actors look good. Yeah. I want to be, um, I, I just want to be behind the scenes. So, I mean, I went to Calabar from school. My parents didn't know anything. I applied went to Calabar from school for the first AFRIF. The second AFRIF I applied. Unfortunately, I didn't get in, okay. but it didn't stop me. I still went to AFRIF. And I remember the sec- my second AFRIF, I had a test in school. It was quite important. And at that time, I was just not focused on school anymore. I would be going, I was supposed to attend my own lectures. I studied sociology and anthropology. Yeah. And I was supposed to attend my own lectures. I would leave my class and go to the theater arts class. And I would just be there. And my, my classmates would be calling my phone like, ah, ah, I thought I saw you in school a, a few minutes ago. Yeah. I'm like, when you finish from class, I will copy the notes. I will read. I will pass. Don't stress. And people started to see me as an unserious student because like, I won't come to my own class. I will go to the theater arts class. They'll be having shows. I'll be there. Like, and then the height of it was when I missed my test. It was now like, oh, where, where are you? Where are you? I'm, I'm in Calabar. And everyone was like, are you okay? What mm. are you doing in Calabar? How can you be missing your test? But I, oh, well, I was in Calabar for the second of this. I wasn't picked. I, I sneaked into the directing class. And <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> I think that for me, it was the, the drive and the passion to just learn. Yeah. And I kind of, I, I saw Afrif as my film school. So whether I had the money for school fees, which was like um, transport, whether I had, as in, I'm saying school fees, I'm using it as an illustration. If nobody in school, yeah. if you don't have money for school fees, they will chase you and you will not come to school. So whether there was a school fee chase, which I would now relate to, like not being picked for the training, oh. I will still be there. I will sneak into these classes. I'm like, I, I didn't care about the certification at the end of the training. All I wanted to get was the knowledge. Yeah. Yeah, so the next Afif, I think in Cal- was in Calabar or Lagos. I, can't, I think two times in Calabar, three times, I'm not sure. But then the next Afif, I remember, I went in again for screenwriting for TV. The next one I went was in Lagos. I applied, I got in. I went to Lagos um, for production design. Yeah. So like my next Afif, I was like, oh, I don't want to be a student. I want to learn about the industry. I want to be in the industry session. I just wanted to... So I, I reached out to, to a few people and then I saw that this um, Angel Works, she's on Facebook, she was doing like um, a call out. She was, she was going to sponsor two young people to attend her faith as an industry um, personnel. Yeah. So like I wanted it so bad. I wanted it so bad. I reached out to all my friends that knew her and I was just like, please tell her to pick me. Please. So it was just like a pick me, pick me, pick me person. Please tell her to pick me. Yeah. Please, I want to be there. Tell her to pick me. And they were like, ah, ah. okay, I'll tell her. I called, I know I called like six people to say, please tell her to pick me. And, and then I, I called her finally. And I said, oh, my name is Priya Diri. I'm just like, oh, I know you. I'm like, oh, wow. Thank you. Please pick me. <laughs> she said, okay, so you have to, I mean, I'm not going to be partial. You have to tell me why you want to do this. And then I'll pick you. So like, I, I know I'm great with words. So I just said, oh, Afif is my film school. 
I'm a tenant of all all these years. I just want to be in the industry. I want to make films. I want to. And then she's like, oh, okay, I pick you. And so she paid for me um, yeah. all access. <laughs> all Us. access. I went to the training. <laughs> she paid for me all access. I went to the training. I went to Afrif as an industry personnel for, for the first time. And I mean, something remarkable happened. While I was attending as an industry personnel, someone walked up to me. I think it was Lala. Yeah. Lala is like, what are you doing here as an industry personnel? And I was like, um, I just wanted to like, Priye, if you were a student this year, maybe you would have gone abroad because now they're more specific about choosing girls. And I know that you're passionate and you would have, I was just, I just felt like shit. I was like, why, why am I here as an industry person? So I started to doubt again. I'm like, yeah, you know, when you say, God, God, why me? Uh-huh. <laughs> and so like all of that happened. But like, I was just like, you know what? I'm going to enjoy the moment. So I, I mean, I made, made a lot of friends. I attended industry sessions. And this was in 2015. 2015 or 2016, one of them. But I attended industry sessions. And afterwards, I think the next year, it was, 20, it was 2016. So the next year, um, they, ta- they now had their salary filmmaker training. And like, I didn't want to apply for a salary because I was like, why do I, want to, why do I have to make a short one-minute film yeah. and put it on social media? I had all of these doubts. But I was like, you know what? Let me just do it. So I made a one-minute short film, put it on social media. I sent it to a couple of people that I met during a free, and they were like, oh, no, I don't like it. Oh, it's too this. It's too... I had a lot of criticism. So I just felt like oh, I won't get into this accelerator training. But, like, it doesn't hurt to apply. And I think that that's something that I've done with my life. If you know how many applications I do in a year, yeah. and maybe I get, like, 50 rejections in a year. But, like, for me, it doesn't stop me because Ava DuVernay will say, she applied to get to Sundance how many times I was rejected, how many times. And, but now she sits on the Sundance board. So it's something that every day I'm like, you know what? I will apply as much as I can. Yeah. I will fail as much as I feel. I will get rejected, but it will not stop me because like I know what I want. I know where I'm going. Um, so I applied for the accelerate. I got in. I mean, something tragic happened when I, when I got, I passed the first session and they said, Oh, um, write the second session, the worst of your life. And I'm, I'm like, I don't have a worst day. I'm pretty, I'm a pretty happy person. Like my life is great. Yeah. And all of that was happening before I knew the same day I said that my house was robbed in Port Harcourt. My laptop, my hard drive, like we were held, were held down at gunpoint for over four hours, myself and my family. Yeah. And I've never seen death come so close. I have never seen death come so close. And it was just a scary time. And so I used that as the worst day of my life. I got picked to, to partake in the salary filmmaker project. Yeah. I what got, year was this? I got, this was 2017. Okay. This was 2017. Yeah. I went to Lagos without a phone, without a laptop. I was just like, okay, let me just do this. I was in the worst, worst year of my life. I was like, let me just do this. Let me just get it over and done with. Yeah. So I went to Lagos. I attended the training. It was for 15 days. We were taught by different people. Different people came in to teach us. Um, we were like, oh, they're going to have five winners. They would um, then do their short films, all of that. So, I mean, I wanted to be part of the winners. But then I said to myself, like, you know what? This is my last strike, Sha. Because, like, if this doesn't work out, if I don't, if I don't get to be part of the, part, the, the top five, Sha will just go and do what my father wants me to do. Huh. I'll go and read law and move on with my life. I say at some point, oh, I had, I would tell my children, I had dreams of being a filmmaker, but it didn't work out. That's in the past. We yeah. move. And so, I mean, I think that the whole training, my pitch was horrible. So they asked us to pitch our project. Already, even before the pitch, when I had my idea, Lala Kindoji would say, oh, that's, she just came hard on me. Like, she was so hard on me. Like, 
this is not good enough. Your idea is not good. You need to be better. You need to. And so in my head, I'm like, oh my God, Allah hates me. And like, that was all I had in my head. Like, oh my God, Allah hates me. Yeah. And I had that notion. I said, like, you need, and she kept, when I say, oh, this is my idea, she's like, nope, not good enough. And it just felt like every idea that I came up with was not good enough. And what I did was, when I came up with my last idea, that a day before the pitch, I had, I didn't know what I was going to do. I had no clue what project I was going to pitch. Like, I was clueless because I think I'd run out of options. I'd gotten to the blank wall. I'd given out all my ideas. And Lola was like, nope, not good enough. So the night of the, the night before the pitch, I didn't sleep. I was awake all night thinking about an idea to pitch. So like, of course, it wasn't properly refined because other people had had three, four days to work on theirs, get yeah. theirs ready. I worked on mine the night before, wrote a script the night that night. It, I, I was just so scared. And so I went for the um, pitch. When I got in there, I was a mess. My, <laughs> my ideas were all over the place. I was fidgeting. I was talking. Because, I mean, I think there was me, Akim Olayan. There was Victoria Akujobi. There was, um, ooh, how could I forget? Okay, so there was like a couple of people. There was Judith Audu. Yeah. There was Joker Silva. There was also KJ. There was Sheyi Baba Tope. So I was just like, all of these people. And I think that, I mean, I mean the moment I saw Sheyi Baba Tope, I was like, oh my God, Sheyi Baba Tope. Because, I mean, I like the kind of stories that he tells. So it was about young people. So I was, I mean, that's my interest. I was very excited to see Shane. And I went in for my pitch and it was the worst pitch in the whole of the training. And I came out and I was just like, okay, I've messed up. I didn't get this. When they called the top five, I would just pack my bags and go home. Oh. And I mean, this is the end of film for me. And I remember telling Adenike Adebayo, we had a conversation, a heart-to-heart conversation. And I said, Adenike, this is my last try. This is, I feel like I'm so much in love with film, but film doesn't love me. Yeah. And I will not push this anymore. And she was like, for her too, like she said to herself, this is, this is it. If she doesn't get in, this is the last strike. I'm like, yeah, this is the last one. And they decided to call the top five people. And they had called the first person, the second person, the third person. I was just like, I'm not going to make it. <laughs> they called the fourth person. And at the time I started to cry. When they called the fourth person, I was just like, I'm done for, like, there's no need to even try. Yeah. And then when they were trying to call the field, I kept going, oh, this fifth person has worked so hard in the industry, has attended trainings, has paid her dues. And I was just like, just call the person already, Lala, and let's move on with this. Mm. And then my name was called, and I was still sitting down because I did not hear my name being called. And people were hitting me. And <laughs> so it was like I was living in my head. Yeah. People were hitting me. Oh, my God, please. And I was just like, why are you guys hitting me? And then... Lala is like, Priye! And I was like, oh my God, that's me! <laughs> so it was such like an emotional moment. I was just crying and I was like, oh my God, God, is this it? Like, this is it. And I mean, for me, I, I felt like that was some sort of like validation. It was, it was like, oh, all of these years that I've worked this hard, I'd done, I'd paid for people on set, I'd, all of these things that I'd done, I'd, um, was finally coming to pay off. And, I had a conversation with Shabe Batapi at the end of the day where he's like, you know you weren't going to make it. And they had come in and they're like, oh, um, let's, when they were trying to decide. And Shabe said, for some reason, everybody picked different people, but nobody remembered you because your pitch was horrible. And that, but he said to them, he's like, if you are looking for a filmmaker with a different voice, if you're looking for someone whose idea is not the same as everyone else, then you have to pick the silent film girl. And they were like, oh, so he said that you're kissing 
people said to him that if we pick this um, silent film, we either do it well or, we, or it's going to be rubbish. And we're going to have mentors. So Shreya Bhattopay says, you know what? I will mentor her and she will make the film. Pick yeah. her. And so that was how my name of somehow got into. And she said, because after the whole thing, before they even announced the names, after we did the pitching, they called us out. They were like, oh, ask. They were like, ask. We should ask them questions. So my first question was to Shreya Bhattopay. I was like, Shreya Bhattopay, I really love your films. I... And Shreya was like, he said in his head, like, oh my God, this girl that I just fought for. And the first person who's asked me a question, she's the one. And she's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I really love your films. I really. And so he was just like, he felt some sort of like, like an energy going on in the room. Yeah. And, and shockingly, when we started to talk, I realized that his birthday was 25th of April and mine was 26th. I'm like, ooh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, I mean, that's how I, I, I was part of the top five. And we started to work on pre-production to make our films. And Shibi Bhattopay made me do like a storyboard for every single scene in my film. He's like, you need to know what you're trying to do before you get on set. Yeah. And I did all of that. When we went to set the first day, I it was horrible. I got there, my location wasn't ready. It was like, I just felt like the, all, the odds were just stacked up against me. Like, I just felt like the evil spirits of film, you don't want me to, you know how? Like, <laughs> just easy. you know how you you love someone, but their mothers are like, no, you will not marry them. Yeah. That sort of a thing. I just felt like the mother of film is like, no, you cannot come close to film. Because like everything that I did, I, I met like a hurdle on the road. And it was just so frustrating for me. Um, But I mean, I met the first day of film set. I was so frustrated. I started to cry. I I mean, the whole thing, I was crying. I caught Shay. I'm like, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm just so tired. I'm, I'm Shay, but it's like, Director, are you crying? <laughs> I'm like, yes, I am. And then he's like, no, no. Like, you cannot cry on your film set. Yeah. You cannot. That, uh, what kind of director will you be? <laughs> you Okay, he's like, okay, so imagine a crew member sees you crying. Now, what would they say? I'm like, just see I don't care. He's like, nope. And then he's like, I am. He was supposed to come like the next day because he told me he was busy that first day. Yeah. But he's like, you know what? I'm on my way. And so... <laughs> In less than two hours, Shay showed up and he was just like, you know what, what's the problem? Let's get this movie. What do you need? And so he was practically like aiding for me. Like, what do you need? And I'm like, okay, I need this. He's like, okay, great. So, I mean, it was great working with Shay on that set because it was like, you need to know what you want. Huh. And I, I mean, I cut that day Laoye in the film and it was, it was such an amazing experience because I was so scared. I mean, you know how I was so scared to tell people what to do. Yeah. And, and, I, I didn't realize that like all of directing was saying, do this. I want this. This is my image for the film. This is how I, the film should look. This is what I, I didn't realize that. So like, I was so scared to say, I didn't do something. I'm like, I mean, I didn't really like, I was, I'm just like, okay. And I think that she noticed and then she called me. I said like, you need to direct me. You need to say, do this. You need to say, this is how. And after she did that, she also called me to the time. She was like, if you want something, you need to say it. Like, you cannot afford to not say this is what you want. Yeah. As a director, like, you cannot afford to have that. You need to tell people that, oh, get me this. This is not the costume that I want for this um, actor. This is not. So, like, all of that, I had to learn that on the set of XXO. Mm, yeah. So, that's, that's like the journey to making my first official film. Before I made XXO in 2015, I'd attempted to make a film. With a couple of my friends and I had Imoebo, I had Abayomi Alvin. We made the film and no one will ever see the film. Full stop. Yeah, I mean I understand. I, I've been there. So 
you went on to make this silent film. Why did you choose a silent film? Okay, so I, I think that the, the most important reason why... So I think that the most important reason why I picked a silent film was at the point in my life, I was going through a lot. And I just... What I did with the character was, oh, I was depressed at that point in my life. And so I, I made... Like the character was also depressed and yeah. I kind of, I felt like in a lot of, a lot of times, like when we're going through these depressing moments, we just want peace and we want still and we just need some quiet. And I also was just trying to portray a message without really talking because I know that like for film, yeah, like dialogue is not all, it's not what film is about. Yeah. It's so I just wanted to tell a story that didn't have dialogues and to say, oh yeah, I was, I've, I've been able to do this. So these were the reasons why I picked a silent film. I was just like, and at some point, if you won't believe it, in that film, I had written, I wrote it as a silent film. My first draft was silent, second draft was silent, third draft, and I added a couple of conversations. <laughs> oh. And then I said to him about the and he's like, huh? <laughs> Where did these dialogues come from? So I said, oh, I just want that one. He's like, no, no. It's like the original idea for this film is a silent film. You cannot do this. You cannot. And I was like, okay, Shay, okay, okay. He was like, give me your third and final draft, and I do not want to see any dialogue. And I was like, okay, okay. And so, like, after we made the film, he was asking me, why did you put dialogues in your third draft? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I didn't, like, I, I was so confused. And, yeah. and that's the thing. I was listening to everybody saying, oh, nobody will understand the story. People will not understand the film. And so I was just like, you know what? Someone said to me, people will not understand the film if you, if you don't have dialogues. It's like, okay, let me just add one or two dialogues. And she was like, no, if they don't understand the film, then they're not your audience. Yeah. And I was like, okay. You, you went on to win out of the five people and you got a scholarship to film school. Can you talk about that experience? Hmm. Um, and so I think that when they said, oh, we're going to Africa, I was quite excited. I'm like, oh my God. For the first time, my film is going to my film school. Because yeah. I keep saying Afrif is my film school. So like for the first time ever, my film is going to my film school. It was quite an exciting moment for me because I was like, oh my God, everything about film that I know, I learned from Afrif. And so to have my film spent at Afrif, premiere at Afrif was like a dream come true. Yeah. And so I'm like, oh my God. So I was really excited. And when we had the Accelerate Filmmaker Day during Afrif 2017, I was nervous. I was like, God... I was like, God, I want to win, but like, if I don't win, it's fine. I'm here. I got here. I made a film. I can move on from there. And when we saw our films and we screened the films and they called my name as the winner, I, I didn't even expect it. I was just like, what just happened? Um, and so I think that everything from there, for me, I, I just thought that, oh, when I won this as a filmmaker project and they announced me as a winner, like things would just begin to move really fast for me. Yeah. I just I just thought that afterwards, after getting calls, people would be calling me so hi Priyadiri, come and do this film. Come and do th-. and I I mean that was what I had in my mind. But like I kind of feel like that was another part of um would I say re- it wasn't a rejection, it was just some sort of knowing that oh that's not how things work. Yeah. And like my expectations are not reality. And like nobody's going to come and give you anything. You have to still work hard for yourself. And I think that I did a lot of waiting. I, I waited for a long time, 2017, 2018. I waited for people to say, oh, this is it. Come and take and come and do. And I mean, I, I got to realize that that would never happen. Winning the Accelerate Premaker Project and going to France was another experience. I mean, 
when we when they announced my name and they said I was going to give a speech at the Afri- African International Film Festival in yeah. 2017, I was like, I don't like crowds. I don't know how to. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm like, I'm a behind the scene person. I'm not in front of the scene. I, but like, I had to pull myself together and I do, and do that. Afterwards, um, we started to do all, all, all the application. I applied for visa. I was denied visa. I said, wow. <laughs> okay. It was, it was something. I was denied visa in Abuja. I was like, hey, 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 is this a joke? I went to Lagos. I called, like, I, I called Trema Day of Afraid and I'm like, oh, this is what's happened. She's like, oh no, you need to come to Lagos. So myself and two other people, we went to Lagos. We applied for the visa again. Everybody that was supposed to travel, all the Afri students left. I was still in Nigeria. Yeah. They left. I was still in Nigeria. <laughs> I was seeing pictures on the group chat. I was like, God, am I cost or what? <laughs> so I applied for my visa the second time. I got the visa. I left, uh, went to France. And it was like, before then, they had asked us to pitch projects because it was a film exchange program. Yeah. So they said, oh, pitch the projects that you want to do. If your project gets picked, then you would, you would do your project. So I pitched my project. I wanted to do a documentary on child sexual abuse. Some sort of a comparative documentary yeah. between Nigeria and France. And so I pitched my project and my project was picked. And I was, it was really exciting to see, oh my God, I'm going to do my project. I'm going to do a documentary. I'm going to shoot in France. Yeah. I was quite excited. And when I didn't go on time, they were just like, we're going to have to cancel your project because you're not here. You can no more do your project. And I'm like, no, I'm coming. <laughs> I will do my project. And so like when I went to France, it was just, it was just quick to work. It would just start working. I had a team. We started working on the documentary. It was hard getting people to interview because, I mean, sexual violence is, is, is quite a touchy topic. So a lot of people do not want to talk about it yeah. or share their experiences because they feel like they'll be stigmatized. ETC. And so I remember sending Auntie Mildred a message saying, Auntie Mildred, this is hard. I'm not getting people to interview I'm not, and she just said, are you joking? That, that pre, you're not, we're all working hard enough. That's why you're not getting people. If you want, if you get off Instagram <laughs> and do the work. And I think that that was like a wake up call because I was really just Instagramming and tweeting, taking pictures for the gram. And when she said, get off Instagram and do the work. I was just like, yeah, that's right. And so, I mean, after she said that to me in the next two days, I had two people yeah. willing to talk to me. And because I started to ask questions, I researched online, I was reaching out to people, sending emails, getting the school to reach out to people on my behalf and all of that. So we shot, we shot, um, in, in, um, Paris, in Lyon, and we had a total of six people to talk to. Yeah. We went to the, um, child sexual abuse center in Lyon and it was, it was, it was a different world actually, dubbing from film and then going to do documentary. And for me, I was just like, this is it. Um, I'm exactly where I want to be. I'm exactly where I should be. And I was really grateful for that experience. Yeah. How long was the film exchange? Oh, it was, it was supposed to be for six weeks. But I was in Nigeria for two weeks out of the six weeks. And so, I mean, I got to spend, got to spend four weeks in France. Okay. Three weeks and some days. Three yeah. weeks and some days in France. Yeah. And for me, like when I got to France, I mean, I almost missed my flight back home. It was, it's, it's, it's a story that I will continue saying. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I just coming from Paris. I know, I know that other people were like, oh, their flight, they leave like in two days or three days time. 
And so me, I really thought that I was living with them, but I forgot that I came after they came. So all that was happening. And then I just said, no, let me just check my return ticket back home, like casually. Yeah. And just see. I checked it and it was that day. And it was like two hours away. I was just like, what in the world is this? Uh-huh. <laughs> so I quickly had to pack my bags and I headed to the airport. But I mean, I, I was in France for three weeks and some days. Then I went to Cotonou, Benin Republic. Yeah to edit, and I was in Benin Republic for three weeks. Okay. Let me just say a story. So I, I, was, I was in Benin Republic for three weeks. I, I worked on this project morning, evening, night, and I had like a, a, an editor in English. He, was, he spoke only French, our language. We had to find a way to communicate the documentary ready, send it back to um, France. Um, so it got, the, the, the hard drive went back to France, and so my project has to come in and they just say we lost everything and we're trying to store it we've been in republic but like nobody's responding to us in the school okay. and i'm like what does that even mean and so like, i called i called the, the school my editor and i'm like what is going on then he said oh the hard drive is the documentary is backed up with this person and can you believe that even until last week i've still i've been I've been trying to get footages of this documentary. Wow, that's crazy. All my hard work, everything I worked for, everything gone. And I do not even understand how that happened. And I, 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 I mean, for me, I've learned the lesson. So like every project that I do now, I always get a separate hard drive that is mine. Yeah. A hard drive that is my own. And I back up everything on my hard drive. So like if the two major hard drives get or something happens to me, I know that free, I have a copy. Yeah. <laughs> Last year, you went on to make your first feature. Even before the first feature, I made like a, I did like a pilot episode for a series called Akachi yeah. on sexual reproductive health rights and sexual and gender-based violence in Abuja. Yeah. Um, it was for IPAS, an organization called IPAS and European Germanzy Foundation. And I think that that was also quite taxing because, you know, of course, with independent filmmaking, the money is small, it's an advocacy film. But we had like seven days to shoot, um, two episodes. It was, I think that it was like one of the most taxing things because I had to do, I had to put, I had to lead a team of over 30 people. Yeah. I was confused. I, <laughs> I was confused. I was just like, is this how hard directing is? I mean, for me, I just thought like it was like, oh, actually, but on that project, I had to practically pick costumes. To make up, to pick location, to say, oh, I don't like this. It was an experience that I I was grateful to have, honestly. Film premiered when I was in France. Yeah. They had two premieres in Abuja here. The both of them I was in France. I couldn't attend. But like to to have people call me to say, oh my god, that was great. I loved it. Oh, when I began to the other episodes, I loved, and it was for me, it was like validation at that point to say, okay, like you you kind of know what you're doing. Yeah. So I'll talk about rule number one, how that came about, and okay. what I was doing when rule number one came. Yeah. So after I came out from France, 2018, it was like nothing else was working. I was just there. And I was saying, oh my God, nothing. 2018, I was I, I was here, didn't get to do much. I collaborated with my friends. I did some films, some short films. I worked on like a series with a couple of my friends, and that was practically all that mm. um, I was working on. And then one day I was in my house, and I got a call from... Um, Bjorn Steven. And she goes, Oh, 
we're working on this um, series for Africa Magic. It's called Unbroken. Do you want to be on board? Um, would you like? And I was like, oh, yeah, why not? And so that's how I went to Lagos and we started to do Unbroken. And I mean, if, if you're an industry person, working on Unbroken, we worked for, I think, three or four or five months in 2019. Yeah. Morning, ninth, morning, ninth, we worked. And and then, I, I mean, it got to the point where we heard, oh, Something was, I don't, I don't know the details of that, but something happened. One thing and next thing we knew, they're like, oh, they have to restart from the beginning, change some actors, call back some directors. I wasn't back. And it really, like, it really made me feel bad because for a long time I felt like I was not good enough. For a long time I felt like, oh yeah, the mother of film or the mother of film is back and just doesn't like me that much. And, I just wasn't good enough. I felt like I was a failure for a long time because I was like, how can I spend five or six months of my 2019 working on a project that never sees the day of light? Yeah. And that even when it comes out, my name is not going to be on it. And that's how bad I felt. Um, but I mean, in the midst of all of my wailing and feeling like a failure, in comes a call from Hawala Labora says, Oh, we're doing a film. I want to do a film for. Um, Africa Magic Original. Um, I'm going to send you some scripts. Choose what, choose the one you want to make. Blah, 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 blah. And so I, I mean, I got the script for rule number one. I read the script. I loved it. I'm like, oh, yes, I will do it. And we went into pre-production, casting, et cetera, et cetera. And I mean, when I went, walked on set, it was a different world for me because I'd never done a feature film. And I was just trying to research, like, what does it mean to do a feature film? What does it take to do a feature film? Is it, and I mean, a lot of times I saw, oh, it's a longer version of a short film. Yeah. Talk about Oshin said something where she's like, making a feature film is like, is a sustained vision. It's saying, okay, this is the vision that I want. You know, yeah. in a short film, it's quite precise. Yeah. It's 10 minutes. You have to make sure the characters stay in character for 10 minutes. And, but like for a feature film, you have to make sure they're in character for over an hour. And it's, it's, you have to look for, it's just a different world. It's just a different world. And for me, it was like, Okay, longer version of a short film, sustainability, characters have to be in character for this long. And I think that that's how I took that. And I, one of the things that I on set that happened was a lot of times when, I mean, the first day of set was quite slow. Yeah. Things weren't going as, as planned. And then this one day, like the costume people were just misbehaving. And I was just like, you know what, let me appreciate everyone for their work so far. So I went to every department. I'm like, oh my God, thank you guys so much. You guys have been the best. Um, you really tried, but like we need to get, sit up. So I, I mean, I had a pet talk with every department. I went to every department. I had a script. And the next morning when we came on set, I just saw like a different energy around. Everybody was practically bringing their A game. Yeah. And I was, I was, it was quite impressive because I was like, oh my God. So like a simple word of encouragement for the crew members, even as to, to the PA changed a lot of things on set. So I was just like, and I, I was learning to, oh, I was saying on set, oh, don't call me director. My name is Priye. Like, first name basis. I yeah. mean, we're colleagues. I, it's not like I'm, I'm the boss of you. Yeah. We're colleagues, and we're all here just trying to make this film that we believe in. And, I mean, we're all here just trying to be partners to make this film happen. And, and, and I mean, that's, that's, that's the eye that I looked at it with, and I think that it works for me. Because saying, oh, we're colleagues, I'm not your boss, I'm not the boss of you. I'm just, um, at this point, the director. 
and I just have to say, oh, I like this. I don't like this. This is the vision that I have. And like what I was told, oh, it's your vision. The crew members are helping you make your vision into a reality. Yeah. And so I keep saying, oh, this is the vision I have. Oh, this doesn't fit into the vision. This is nice, but it could, it doesn't fit into this vision. And I mean, that's, that's how we made that film. You worked with them. Um... A lot of like established actors working with these people and them knowing their craft how easy did they make your job i was threatened by um antirekia so, <laughs> <laughs> so like the first day we were going on set and i was like oh because i wanted to i wanted um Tina. i've always wanted to direct them but like it's something that has i'm so she's one of my favorite actors of all time Tina. so i'm like i'm gonna act Tina, but they couldn't get her and so we had Antirekia, because I mean, my two options. Yeah. We either have Antina or we have Antirekia, one of them. And so when we got Antirekia, I was like, oh my God, how am I going to direct an actor that knows her onion? And like, how am I going to do it? I don't look like a fool. Yeah. And <laughs> we had um, also, oh God, we had Folu Storms also, but I'm going to talk about um, Antitina first. So Antirekia, rather. How am I going to do this? I don't look so... The first day on set, when she came in, I went to her. I'm like, oh, welcome. I thank you so much for being here. We had a conversation on the character, what I thought of the character. And I just asked her one thing before I even started saying it. I'm like, Ma, what do you think of this character? What's your interpretation yeah. of this character? What do you think her life is like? And, and she started to talk about the character. And I'm like, oh, yeah. So, I mean, this is what I thought about. So, so I mean, we're on the same page. And so... I, I kind of feel like we were on the same page. You understood what I wanted. I understood how she interpreted it. And we just found like a middle ground to come to, to say, okay, this is what this character is going to be. This is how she's going to be. And directing her was quite easy because before I would say this, she knew what I wanted. Yeah. And she just delivered. And it was really, it was really exciting to see. It was really, it was an exciting thing to see, to see that. Even before I said, oh, please, I want you to do this. She knew that this is like how, how the role should be interpreted. Yeah. And I liked the, how all the characters on set, how they understood each other. And everybody just kind of, what's it called? Everybody just kind of related and worked, worked together. Yeah. Every single person. And I mean, even Ibrahim Suleiman, like I wanted Ibrahim was my first choice. And so I was so excited when, when Ibrahim was on set because I was like, yes, I've always wanted to direct him. And I mean, for the character that he played, it was, for me, all the characters, it was just seamless to work with them. It was so easy. It was, I didn't have an issue with anybody, huh. not one person. It was, oh, I want this. Okay, director, we're, 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 we're on. And I mean, we had scenes where there was a lot of dialogues and these actors just practically brought it home. It was, I, I, I mean, every day I keep saying, I want to be on sets like, like this where I don't have to worry about the actors. Yeah. Where, once I say, oh, this is what we want, this is what, I mean, there are a few times where the actors will say, oh, I don't think that this is, this works. And so we'll have the conversation, okay, what do you think works? Okay, this is why, and we'll have, oh, this is why I think that this works. And they would understand my point. Oh. And we'll go with it. Yeah. You worked on La Femme Angela, directed by Mildred Oko. Um, what was your role? And, <laughs> so what, what was your role? And um, what did you learn from that experience? Oh, my God. I will have to get a book to read every single thing I learned from working on La Femme. But like working on La Femme and Jola um, was a dream come true. So I've been stalking at Mildred for years. Yeah. I've followed her journey from, from the meeting 
from 30 days to the meetings, to Surulere, to the bank, to like, I had practically followed her journey. And I was just really inspired by her and how she paid attention to details. So I was just like, oh my God. And so, I mean, after I went and celebrated for makeup project and one day I'm in my house, I just saw on Twitter and Timidore had tweeted something saying that I would work on her next film. I was so excited. Yeah. I was like, this is a dream come true. So we, we got working. I was her assistant on set. Yeah. I was the producer's assistant because she, she, um, and Rita produced. So produced and directed. So I was her producer's assistant because I, she wouldn't have, have all the time to direct and be producing at the same time. Yeah. We had production managers. Of course, we had all of that, but I was practically the producer's mouthpiece when the producer wasn't available to produce while she was directing. Yeah. So I was producer's assistant and, my job was just to make her life easier. Easier on set, yes. And um, on La Femme Jola, <laughs> just, there's a lot of things that I learned. Yeah. It's, I mean, every morning, even before we go on set, yeah. Timidred would say, this is what we're shooting. The day before, of course, we have a shadow. So she's like, Priya, this is my director's um, treatment for this scene. And this is how I want to shoot the scene. And she would walk me through the process of even getting all the things that she wanted. Yeah. All the, oh, the process of, okay, shortlisting, the process of saying, and Atibuda always said something, like every morning, she'll say, what's the importance of this scene in the story? It's yeah. a question she's always asking. And so, I mean, she'll say, what's the importance of this scene in the story? What's the highlight of the scene? So, with every single scene that was going to be directed, Atibuda will write down the importance of the scene to the story. Huh. How does it re- relate to the story? What's so like if I come in and I come in and I just drop the character comes and the character just drops a bag, she's going to say what is the importance of this scene to the story? Yeah. Because she's like every single scene is important to make up the whole film. And so we, we run through the treatment every morning. We go on set. There are some scenes where Antimuda wants to direct. She's like, Priya, come and sit down here. And for me, it was just a different experience to see. You know, I mean, Nollywood, a lot of times we're in a rush to do things, you get. Uh. We're quite in a hurry. We want to shoot for five days and get it over and done with. Yeah. Shoot for six days and get it over and done with. But to have like a film where you know that you have like five or six scenes to shoot in a day yeah. and that you are going to take your time to shoot it. Uh. You are going to take your time to make it happen. You're going to go to take your time until like everybody gets what you want before you move on. Yeah. It was... It was, it's something that everybody should experience, actually. Yeah. It's something that everybody should experience to say, okay, we're not in a, we're not, we're in a hurry, but we're not in a hurry. Yeah. And, and we're going to take our time to make a film that we're going to love. Um, it's also the, the, the whole, the atmosphere, atmosphere of the set when we're doing La Femme was just amazing because like everybody knew why they were there. Everybody yeah. knew that they were there for a purpose. Nobody's coming on set to come and be doing Instagram yeah. up and down the case because <laughs> no shades of yeah. But nobody's coming on set to take pictures to say on the set of La Femme, everything was packed, was so organized. Like uh-huh. everything was so, and, and I mean, for me, it was like, oh my God. No special treatments to anybody. When we want to have food, everybody go and take from the buffet. Yeah. Like, like because like you see, Auntie Mildred and Chimita eating from there. Who are you? Everybody go and eat from the buffet. Huh. Everybody behave themselves. The crew members. I mean, even before she says, "Oh, this is what." Like, pre-production took got a long time. 
So before we even went to shoot, everything was organized. Yeah. Everything was organized. Like the problems that we had do not come from, oh, we did not do production kind of problems. Uh. It was the normal problems that we had on set. Oh, generator did not on today. Oh, oh, this did not happen. No, no, all those little, little problems. But to say like the problem of, oh, this actor says she's not coming in today because of this. There was a, there was proper pre-production. Everybody knew the importance of the project. Everybody uh. knew the importance of the film. Everybody was working. Everybody was doing their best to get the best results. And it was, it was quite an exciting thing to learn. Yeah. And for me, from Antibiot, I learned that half of directing is communicating. Half of directing is communicating. Exactly. And so like I work her, I work hand actors communicate to say, this is what I want. And I watch her and her cinematographer communicate to say, okay, this is the kind of image that we want to create. I would, I mean, so I would watch her talk to the um, sound person to say, oh, in this scene, this is the kind of thing that we were looking for. Huh. And it was even as little as, oh, even the extras, Anthony would direct. I, I mean, I've seen a lot of films where you see the extras are just extras, not what Anthony would direct the extras yeah. to just so much attention to detail. Yeah. So much attention to detail. Like I could only dream to be half the director that the, that woman is. So much attention to detail. I was so grateful to to experience to experience this. I was so grateful to experience this. Yeah. And I'm still so grateful because like everything that I learned, I've, I'm I'm taking it with me to to other sets. I'm taking it with me. I mean, I'm taking it with me to say when when I'm on this set now, I'm looking at the script. I'm like, okay. What's the importance of this script in the story? What's the importance of this scene in the story? Oh. What's, and I mean, at that point, you also know that when you know the importance of every scene, you know that there's some scenes that are not, that you can throw away while you're shooting. Yeah. Because when you get to edit, you also throw them away because like, it's like repetition, repetition, repetition. And oh. yeah. Okay. How many days do you guys shoot for? Oh, we shot, ah, how many days did we shoot last time? I think we shot for like 30 something days. We had breaks in between, yeah, and that's another thing that I think Antibiotic is so so concerned about the health of her crew and her cast. Yeah, she wanted to make sure that everybody was performing in their best abilities, and so like we would shoot for three or four days and we'll have one day of rest, and shoot for two, three days or four days or five days and have one day of rest. Yeah, she 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 wanted everybody to be their best. She wanted every crew member to know that, like. You have to rest. So, because to work, you have to rest. Yeah. You have to do all the work. We should do all the work. And then every day in, I think it was like every Thursday or so, we had one day of rest. Yeah. We had to rest. Yeah. I think that's, that's a very helpful approach. She keeps saying, if we keep going like this, we'll be break down and we cannot afford to break down. Yeah. And so we have the necessary rest in between days of shoot. The Nigerian film industry is, um, still growing what do you yeah. think we need to improve i think that we need to sort out regulations <laughs> i think that um i mean there's we have all these guilds actors guilds directors guilds producers guilds etc etc but i think that it needs to be better regulated one so um i think that we need to also sort out distribution um, i was talking to a friend a couple of weeks ago and we we're saying oh wanted to make a film that will go to cinema and the rest of them are just like, I mean, people go to cinemas just to say they have gone to cinemas. Yeah. Not many films make their money back. And I mean, that's something that we need. I mean, distributors are supposed to be distributing these films to 
it is the business of distributors to make sure that the films make it. Yeah. And I think that we need to get to the point in the industry where we can say, like, it is your, if, 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 if my film doesn't sell in the cinema, it's not my fault. Because like you are the distributor, you should make sure that my film sells. Yeah. It is your job to sell my film. That's what distribution is about. Yeah. And we need to set that, um, we need to have like proper distribution channels for films. Um, right now, like filmmakers fit from hand to mouth. I would say that filmmakers fit from hand to mouth. Yeah. Um, because you make one film, you have, you either sell it to TV or you sell it to, um, online platforms. You go to cinema and to go to Netflix, you have to go to film one or some other company. I mean, we need to have access for young filmmakers like myself. I don't have the money to make a, um, living in bondage too. Yeah. I don't have the money to drug it to make all of these films. But like, if I have small money and I want to make my small independent film, what are the chances that, um, my film will, can go to the cinema? I mean, I've, I've, I've spoken to MI industry and I've heard her tell me, Oh, that's, do you know how much I made from the cinema and all of that, all of those conversations? And so like, the question is, I, I told someone, I don't want to do cinema until I know that you get my film is going to sell in the cinema because nobody wants to make a film to lose money. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're filmmakers. We're passionate about telling stories, but we also, we also need return on investments because Definitely. I would take somebody's money to make a film and then the film doesn't, doesn't make it and then I'm in debt and I'm mean, James Amoko is like how he was in debt for a long time. And this is the thing that this is what scares me the most because someone will say, Oh, I have money to give you to make a film and I'm like, hold your money, hold your money, keep your money, <laughs> keep your money to yourself. Because even if I want to take your money, I I'll start thinking, okay, distribution, okay, casting, all of all of these things. And I mean that's what it means to be a filmmaker to to put on these many hats, to learn these many skills, yeah. to be able to succeed. But I think that in the industry, if we're better regulated and we have regulations for distribution and we have regulations for actors, directors, producers, because even with the tax in Lagos, this um, whole Lagos state taxing, if we had proper guilds, I know that we'll be able to, we would come together and say, oh no, we, we stand against this. You yeah. cannot, because in an industry that was built on people's backs, people yeah. practically worked to build the industry. You cannot come to one. You cannot just wake up one morning and want to tax. You, ah, you. I mean, other other countries have people supporting filmmakers, producers, saying, "Oh, this funding for this, this funding for that." Yeah. But like in Nigeria, we don't even have access to funding, which is like a big problem. And so when people start comparing Hollywood films to Hollywood films, I will always say, "Yes, I know Hollywood. We need to do better." But at the end of the day, like, we don't even have the money. We don't have the resources to do better. Yeah. There's the, oh, I want to make better films. If I have my way, I would, I would drive a car, a Homer Jeep and bomb it up just to tell a story and oh. ETC, ETC. But at the end of the day, like, we have to make do with what we have and we have to make good use of what we have. And, um, we have to also understand that I'm a crew members. Someone said to me, remember, they, they work in film because like they want to make money off film. And I'm like, no, I don't think that that is right. I think that crew members are passionate about the, 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 the fields that they've picked, that they've chosen rather. Yeah. And so like, we need to also have that whole, I see people going back to set to shoot and like, I'm asking, are we, are we doing COVID tests? Are we? And then when I ask myself those questions, I also say like, oops, we don't even have enough funding in the industry to even afford all of this luxury. Yeah. In my words, I would call it luxury, all of the luxury of, oh, 
we will test everybody, we will put everybody in accommodation. A lot of people do not have that. That doesn't mean that we stop telling stories. Yeah. Doesn't mean that we shouldn't tell our stories because we don't have uh, the funding to do this, to tell the stories. And so I mean, um, that's 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 one. That for me is like key things. I think the industry should be looking at better regulation and um, sources of funding and better distribution channels for films. In talking about better distribution channels for film, I just want to say, Auntie Mildred said something some time ago where she said, film, no be pepper, no be, no be um, tomatoes, you need to spoil. And that you can keep making money from your film 10 years from now. Yeah. And so like, but, 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 so we understand that, but we also understand that we don't have 10 years to pay back return on investments. And so this is why we need um, the industry to be better structured yeah. so that funding can, I mean, Netflix has come into the industry. People are pitching, but like someone was telling me that, oh, young filmmakers, we don't even know who to go to to pitch these things to. I'm like, yeah, but, and I mean, you don't expect Netflix to come and give you money that they don't know you are supposed to give any Moabudu money that they've seen the work that she's done. Uh, they've seen her years of work and they can trust their money with her. Yeah. And this is what I keep saying. To, this is what I keep saying to people. Like, this is the, the truth is we're young filmmakers. I'm a young filmmaker. I, some, I aspire to be an Ava DuVernay at some point in my life to make films, to tell stories yeah. back to back to back to back. But at the same time, I do not just want to tell stories for the sake of telling stories. I want to tell stories that can stand the test of time. And so in doing that, I have to find the right funding. I have to find the right story and the right people to collaborate with. Yeah, definitely. I have some last words. Um, last words um, for... Um, other filmmakers were aspiring like myself because I say I'm still an aspiring filmmaker. Yeah. I mean, I've made a film or two, but I still want to aspire to perspire. And I'm, um, <laughs> so last words, um, I think that, I mean, if we don't have the funding that we need, if we don't have the money, because like the money will never be complete, the funding will never be complete. Yeah. But the thing is that if we have friends that we can collaborate with to say, oh, I have a script and this other person has a camera, I think that it's important to work on collaborations within ourselves to make things happen because teamwork will get us where we want to. Um, nobody's an island. Yeah. Filmmaking is a collaborative effort. And so like we need collaborations to make films. That's, that's, that's what I just wanted to say. Priya, thank you for coming on The Niger Filmmaker. Thank you for having me, Sele. No problem. Thank you for having me. have come to the end of this episode you can send me your feedback on social media follow me on instagram and twitter at Film, and the podcast also on instagram and twitter at the niger film pod see you on the next episode have a good one